From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, Athens City Schools used a creative method to give candidates the chance to try out a possible new career. If that bus wasn't there, if that person wasn't driving that bus, those kids wouldn't be able to go to practice, those kids wouldn't be able to go to that game or just get to school. And WUB Sports Director Brian Kerb talks about Ohio baseball's and Ohio softball's end-of-game comebacks against Marshall University. Yeah, definitely. So Marshall took an early one nothing lead in the first inning, and Ohio actually just couldn't get the bats going. It wasn't like the weather was cold or anything. Usually the cold weather affects the way uh, baseball players hit, but they only had one hit through the first four innings, and that was until the fifth inning. Something really cool happened uh, for the Bobcats. These stories are more right here on The Outlet. Athens City Schools is one of the many districts that has dealt with a bus driver shortage this school year. WUB reporter Will Price was there to see how the district has been combating the shortage. You gotta have both hands on the wheel. That's the number one rule. Athens City School bus driver Dakota Griggs spent the last day of spring break teaching instead of driving. Check your mirrors, you're doing good, you're doing good. You're doing real good now, see? This try to drive a bus event is part of the district's effort to manage a bus driver shortage it's been dealing with this school year. It's a nationwide problem. A national poll in August found over half of the school districts in the U.S. said their shortage was severe or desperate. In Athens, the district needs at least four new drivers to make things easier. It's been a challenge um, for all. Every driver has been affected by it, uh, doubling up and you know having to change your your route and stuff. But Griggs came up with the idea in hopes of giving him and the staff some relief. Seven people showed up at Athens High School for the tryouts, including Hayden Shores. Oh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to go, you know. Shores said a number of factors helped push him to come. Currently a driver for Athens Transit, Shores says he loves driving. And fond memories of his childhood bus driver were another factor. But maybe most significant to him is the importance of professions like bus and truck driving, which he says can't be understated. We rely on this transportation and the semi-industry to live. The course the attendees had to drive was in the parking lot of Athens High School. Griggs took some time explaining the basics when they first got behind the wheel. Drivers then had to practice doing a three-point turn, backing into one lot, and then they got a better feel for the bus as they serpentined between traffic cones that were set 60 feet apart. Shores says it wasn't too challenging as one of the more experienced drivers, but Griggs says he wasn't the only one that day that expressed that feeling couple did realize it's a lot easier than they thought it was because, you know, you can just look at a school bus and think, hey, I don't think I can drive that. Once you do it, it's a heck of a lot easier, in my opinion. A lot of people, I think, have realized that today. This tryout is just the start of the process for Shores and others to become Athens City School's newest bus driver. They still have to undergo the hours of trainings it takes to get a commercial driver's license, as well as getting a background check and a drug test done. The goal is for some of the drivers from this trial to start at the beginning of next school year. And for Shores, that day can't come soon enough, as he believes this job is an opportunity to be the unsung hero, you know. If that bus wasn't there, if that person wasn't driving that bus, those kids wouldn't be able to go to practice, those kids wouldn't be able to go to that game or just get to school. And Greg says it's the best job he's ever had. And he said that boils down to one thing just the interaction with the children. I mean, they're the first, in the whole school system, you're the first person they're going to see and the last they see. And, you know, it, it you know, kind of how their day's going to go is kind of up in your hands. 
For The Outlet, I'm Will Price in Athens. On Tuesday, the United States Senate unanimously passed the Sunshine Protection Act, which would make daylight savings time permanent. Today, WUB lead forecaster Aaron Ashley and I will be chatting about what this means moving forward. Aaron, what does this mean for us moving forward? Well, as soon as presidential approval is signed with this act, this would mean as soon as November 2023, daylight savings time would be a year-round system. So this means no turning back the clock, no springing forward, just a constant standard time for areas who have observed daylight savings in the past. Wow. Why did changing this time become like a normal thing in North America? So changing the time meant changing the time of day that the sun rises as well as when the sun sets. So originally, this was to add more hours in the day that the sun was in the sky. Oh, interesting. And so with more access to artificial light in the modern age, daylight saving time doesn't exactly play an important role anymore? In a way, yeah. Um, It serves the same purpose as before, but you're right, it has become less important. However, people across social media have expressed how they're worried that kids will be traveling and arriving to school in the dark in the early hour. Wow. How much would this change for the morning commute? So during the standard time from December until March, where we typically would set the clock back, we would simply just keep the time the same. Um, This would mean that there would be less sun throughout the day. In fact, WUB forecaster Henry Groff mentioned to me earlier how the sun wouldn't rise until close to 9 a.m. on some winter days. Wow, that's a lot more darkness. That's something that would take some getting used to. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for explaining this to me. Absolutely, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Recent advertisements in some Southeast Ohio newspapers urged readers to buy rolls of half-dollar coins, claiming they were in limited supply, selling fast, and potentially worth a lot of money. WUB reporter David Forster's recent article finds the ads were accurate but potentially misleading, according to the Better Business Bureau. He sat down with digital news editor Aaron Payne to explain what the BBB finds problematic about the ads. These ads are run by two companies, uh, Federated Mint and National Mint and Treasury. Both companies are based in Canton, Ohio, and have the same owner. One of the main objections that the Better Business Bureau raised with these ads is that they'll often use language like state-restricted. So they'll say that these coins that they're selling are state-restricted, giving the impression that the state of Ohio itself is restricting the sale of these coins. The Better Business Bureau is always on the lookout for language that gives the appearance that something is scarce or valuable. And when it comes to collectibles, those two often go hand in hand. Something that's scarce often is valuable. And state-restricted certainly gives the impression that something is scarce. But in this case, the ads are worded very carefully. And a close reading makes it clear that when the companies are saying that the coins are state-restricted, what they're really referring to are the rolls themselves. So the companies collect coins and then they roll them up in their own paper paper that they've had printed. And on the paper that they've had printed, it will say something like restricted 
are for Ohio residents only. But again, this is the company's own paper. It's making the bank rules. Technically, after it's rolled these coins up in paper that says restricted for Ohio residents only, the company can then accurately claim that the rolls themselves, again, not the individual coins in them, but that the bank rules themselves, which again, the company made, are restricted. How is the Better Business Bureau actually involved in monitoring these ads? Sometimes the companies will actually present their ads to the Better Business Bureau to have them checked out, to have them reviewed. The Better Business Bureau has its own code of advertising, and it will use that as the basis for reviewing the ads. But in probably most cases, these ads come to the attention of the Better Business Bureau because someone has brought it to their attention. If they have objections to the ad, they'll reach out to the company and they'll share their objections and then try to get the company to agree to make changes. But the process is totally voluntary. You know, companies do not have to comply with the Better Business Bureau's code of advertising if there's no legal requirement that they comply with this code. So it's a voluntary process, and the Better Business Bureau will reach out to these companies and try and get them to either agree to the changes that they're recommending or to negotiate some kind of uh, so something that both both sides can agree on. And while the program is voluntary, the ads have an effect on the company's Better Business Bureau rating, correct? Yes, absolutely. So in the case of these coin ads, for example, their rating with the Better Business Bureau may be a combination of the advertisements themselves and then complaints that the companies receive from consumers. Those two things will factor into a company's rating. So with these ads, were there any other challenges the Better Business Bureau made to them? Use of a phrase like last remaining, right? So they'll say that the bankrolls are the last remaining. And again, they're very careful to talk about the rolls themselves. Again, these are the coins that have been wrapped up in the company's paper. Are those bankrolls the last remaining? Well, Sure, if they're the only ones that the company has made, but the Better Business Bureau would argue that it's that it's misleading because it's, these companies are trying to give the impression that the coins themselves are the last remaining when that's certainly not the case. Other language that the Better Business Bureau objected to would be to say that these coins are unsearched, right? And again, that gives the impression that, that no one has checked these coins out to see how valuable they might be. The company, again, might be referring to the bank rolls themselves as unsearched. And of course, they haven't been searched since the company just rolled them up and there's been no opportunity for anyone to search them until they're sold. And in some cases, the company, the companies are actually referring to the coins themselves as unsearched. And the Better Business Bureau has challenged this, arguing that, of course, the company has searched these coins because elsewhere in the advertisements, the companies do guarantee that these coins are of a certain quality, usually in terms of their appearance. And the only way the company could guarantee a certain degree of quality if it's actually searched the coins to make sure they meet that standard. You reached out to an attorney for these companies. What did they have to say about all of this? We'll start with the complaints. An attorney who represents a company did tell me that there have been significant delays in shipping. She attributed some of that to uh, the pandemic and how that affected the workforce. Uh, she said that the company has hired an outside call center to help process customer calls and help get the product shipped out. As for the advertising, the attorney for the companies told me that said that the company does try to be creative with their ads. They want their ads to, to catch people's attention. But she also emphasized that the Better Business Bureau's code of advertising is, is voluntary. The company is not 
obligated to follow that code. She said they, they do work closely with the Better Business Bureau and try to resolve complaints that the Bureau has. But again, it is a, it is a voluntary process. Bobcats played Marshall's baseball team Wednesday evening, and sports director Brian Kirk was there. So, Brian, how was the weather? Oh, yeah, the weather was completely perfect on Wednesday. I like to call it baseball weather. You might hear my voice is a little raspy right now. I love baseball. I love this weather, everything combined. It was such a great atmosphere yesterday at Bob Wren Stadium, and interviewing some of the players afterwards, they were so happy to have fans back in the ballpark after COVID only allowed 40, 50 people in the ballpark. But, yeah, they were really happy, and their performance definitely showed out on a diamond. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was kind of a slow start for Ohio Wednesday night. Tell me just a little about that. Yeah, definitely. So Marshall took an early one nothing lead in the first inning, and Ohio actually just couldn't get the bats going. It wasn't like the weather was cold or anything. Usually the cold weather affects the way uh, baseball players hit, but they only had one hit through the first four innings, and that was until a fifth inning. Something really cool happened uh, for the Bobcats. And so what, what happened? <laughs> what, what was up with that? Like- yeah, so one of the Bobcats power hitters, Spencer Harbert, he came in with three home runs. He actually hit a solo home run over the wall in left field, uh, tying the game at one. And that actually woke the bats up for the Bobcats. They ended up going on to win 6-3. to three. Just a huge win for Craig Moore's program. Uh, that's our first win over Marshall uh, since 2017. So, yeah, always good to beat your rival. And, you know, Marshall's short trip down south. Oh, goodness, yes, yes. And so how does this reflect back on the Bobcats' season so far? Yeah, so Ohio now has a 7-6 and six record. Started off a bit slow in those first two series, but, you know, upset Kentucky last week, Power 5 school, huge win for the program. And then splitting a doubleheader against Northern Illinois on Friday of last week to open up MAC play uh, before weather canceled that. But, you know, weather came back. Big win on Wednesday for the Bobcats. Uh, looking ahead to Kent State now, four games. Kent State's usually a really good baseball team, so... It'll be exciting to see what the Bobcats can do, uh, maybe split it at least, maybe win the series, or, you know, what do we all like in baseball, a nice series sweep. And so Ohio softball also played Marshall on uh, Wednesday night. So tell me, what were both teams' records like coming on into this game? So, yeah, literally right next door to Bob Wren Stadium at Ohio softball field, Ohio and Marshall uh, played uh, battle for the bell, they call it. I think that's only a football term, but, maybe, hey, we can use it for any sport, really. It's a rivalry game. God, I love it. Um, but Ohio came in with a 6-12 and record, struggling a lot early on in the season. Um, you know, obviously a long season to go still. Uh, Marshall, on the other hand, entering that game, won 11 straight. Uh, you know, just looking at the previews, looking at all the stats, you would think this would be relatively easy win for Marshall. But, uh, you know, things didn't really turn out that way. Uh, and We'll find out here in a minute. And once again, it wasn't a great start for the Bobcats. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, baseball had a one-run deficit to overcome. Try a uh, seven-run deficit for the softball team. Uh, they were down 7-1 to one going into the sixth inning. And keep in mind, softball was only seven innings, so they only had two more at-bats, six more outs until they you know, lose at that point. But got to give credit to Kenzie Rourke's program. They ended up scoring seven runs in the final two innings, ended up getting a big walk-off to take the 8-7 to seven win. Wow, and so they came back from... Yeah, and you know what makes it really cool? Uh, it was a true freshman on the softball team, Lauren Uhas. She scored the winning run from third base for the Bobcats. Uh, it came off of a ground out to first base. The first baseman for Marshall touched first base but didn't know there was someone coming from third to home, and that's how the Bobcats won. You know, like I mentioned with baseball, it was great having the fans back. 
Softball, I watched some videos on social media. The crowd was into it. Players were into it. Perfect weather at the Ohio softball field on Wednesday. And I'm looking forward to covering baseball this weekend and softball next week and then the weekends to come. The rise of remote work is impacting local government budgets. WUB's David Forster reports that under state law, local income taxes are withheld from an employee's paycheck only if the person lives in or works in a community that has that tax. With more people working remotely, Athens may not be getting the taxes from as many employees of the university, as well as other businesses here in town. For example, if an Ohio University employee lives in Albany but comes to the Athens campus for work, that person must pay the Athens income tax of almost 2%. If the same employee worked from home in Albany, they would not have to pay the tax. But if they lived in Athens, they would. Now, because of a recent bill in the legislature, employees are able to ask for the taxes that were withheld from their paychecks. Local officials weren't sure how many people would ask for the money back. But Athens City Auditor Kathy Hecht said more people have filed than the city expected. Hecht said just two full months into the year, income tax revenue was already down about $200,000 from the first two months of 2020 before the COVID pandemic. And she expects hundreds of Ohio University employees to continue to work from home. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Tish Badia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at woub.org. You can also follow our adventures on Twitter at newswatch underscore woub. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.